this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive on Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. Good morning. I'm not Kara. So I, um, I'm Elizabeth Claussen, for those of you who don't know me. I'm going to be a junior elementary education major at Murray State University, and I am the youth summer intern here at First Christian Church, and it's an honor to be here and standing here today. So today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It says, It was a year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips, Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. For my entire life, it feels like I've been in search of how to be better. How could I change the way that I am in order to fulfill the expectations of others? How can I make the people around me proud of me? What difference does my life make? I'm not special. I'm just average. I have a fear of failing, and I'm certain I'm not the only one with this deeply ingrained fear. And to be honest, college has really tested me in that sense. I went from not ever really having to pick up a book in order to get an A because school was just simple to me, to having to teach myself how to study and to memorize all of the notable psychologists and their findings in order just to pass an exam. Things got hard, and I simply just gave up. Ever since I was little, I associated success with being rich and having extreme intelligence. I believed that in order to, be, to have a purpose and a place in this world, I was to be a doctor, a lawyer, or even a scientist. Therefore, my dreams of being a teacher, just like my aunt and my grandma, were completely shoved out the window due to the stigma that teachers don't make enough money. And then I thought, okay, well, I have glasses. I'll be an optometrist. Makes sense, right? (laughs) I took my first biology class, and then I decided really quick that me and science, not a match. Then I moved on to wanting to be a psychologist. And again, I thought, the brain's cool. I'll I'll just do that. And so then again, I decided that I was wrong. Yet again, me and science, not a match. So I decided that I wasn't up to speed to be as successful as others in the psychology field. I felt quite defeated, and I lost all motivation. 
I would never be rich and successful, and I wouldn't be able to fulfill my purpose of being a psychologist. At this point, I felt so lost, and I just thought, what now? I wanted to be what others wanted me to be, and it just didn't seem possible. Society de deems success as someone with wealth, fame, or just having some sort of power, and that drive to fulfill society's norms led me to subtle forms of self-aggression. I thought, I'm not smart enough. I'll never be good enough. I don't even deserve to be in college at this point. This constant drive to be better or different or more than what, who we already are is rough, and it's real. But how do we know when we are better? And what are we trying to be better than? And who or what are we comparing ourselves to? This kind of abstract goal and the cycle it creates can leave us lost in wondering if, like, what the world has to offer and what we have to offer the world. We often lose our sense of purpose or feel like we've never really found it in the first place. The truth is, get ready for it, we're already living our purpose just by being alive. We simply just have to open our eyes and see it. When looking at the scripture, we need to realize that this is coming from one perspective, and that's Isaiah, but it serves three different positions. Let's dive a little deeper. We see this in verses one through four. God is seated on the throne, his glory is overflowing the temple, and God's feet are resting on it like a footstool. Flying, fiery, six-winged seraphim angels are flying around the throne, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In other words, this is the true commander-in-chief of all the world. God is not intimidated by the Assyrians or the Babylonians or controlled by the Israelites. God's got this, and he is ultimately in control. And this is not about political denomination of any sort. It's about God's holiness and the mission of God to bring healing and light to all people. Here is the heart of the kingdom of God, and every nation will be judged by God and by God alone on one standard. Did you seek justice by rescuing the oppressed, defending the orphan, and pleading for the widow? Or did you make the rich and powerful more rich and powerful at the expense of the weak? This is exactly what Jesus said in the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. The biblical parable of the sheep and goats explains the idea of judgment. The sheep represents everyone who has helped out, helped those in need or given back to the world in some way, and the goats represent those who have acted in an unkind or selfish way. The standard was, what you have done to the least of these, you have done for me. God calls Isaiah to spread this message, to bring a new perspective. Isaiah's response to this perspective shows us three different positions, with the first one being face down. When Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God and his perspective is realigned, he completely shuts down and he cries out, It's all over, I am doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. We might call this position one of confession, remorse, or guilt, and how we may have participated in the nastiness of our society and their ideals for us. Face down. The second position is heart open. Next it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with the burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, 
See, this coal has touched your lips, now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. It's important to notice that the fire did not consume or burn Isaiah, but it purified him. It purified him and took away all of the junk that he was carrying. God had ultimately just performed open-heart surgery on Isaiah. Now that God had performed this open-heart surgery, he is now has his heart aligned with God's, and he is now within his perspective. Heart open. Lastly, we have the hands-up position. Next in the scripture, God says, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Remember that this is not a message that God wants someone to spread. Remember that this message is not one that's easy. He was asking for someone to go and spread this message that didn't proclaim, oh, you can do whatever you want because God's going to forgive you anyways. It wasn't that type of message. It was ultimately to challenge them and to inspect their lives and evaluate if their perspectives are aligning with God's perspective. It will ask the political systems and individuals to evaluate whether they are seeking justice by rescuing the oppressed, defending the orphan, and pleading for the widow, or is it making the rich and powerful more rich and powerful at the expense of the weak? Isaiah had been on his face. He had been purified by the fire of God's holy, loving presence, and now he lifts up his hands in surrender. Here I am, send me. Hands up. Isaiah was already living his purpose, but it just took him some time to realign his heart with God in order to see his purpose and to live a life of fulfillment. Isaiah had been sucked into the life that society had created and realized that he was unclean. He knows he messed up along the way, but God made him realize quickly that there wasn't anything that he could have ever done to make God love him any less. Isaiah was just an average Joe. He wasn't a king or a ruler of any sort, but he became a messenger for God because he found his calling through God. He didn't have a special title. He didn't eat the right amount of veggies at dinner. He didn't have to memorize all of the psychologists in order to pass an exam to be a messenger for God. He just had to live a life with his heart aligned with God's perspective. With us, we are here for a reason. We are all here for a reason. Rather than making crazy lists of things that we want to improve in our lives, spending time and money trying to be better, or trying to figure out who and what kind of person we want to become, it's time to see and express the purpose that our souls already carry inside of us through God. We are all aware that this life on earth is not easy. And we see an example through Isaiah that it is not always easy to carry out a purpose carry out a purpose or a calling in this life. It's just simply not that simple. We probably won't find our purpose through a dramatic occurrence with a six-winged seraphim putting coal to our lips. It might happen in the quiet time away on a vacation. It might, the call might happen to us while reading a book, during a quiet Bible study discussion, or at a coffee shop with a friend. Unlike Isaiah, for most of us, God's calling is not to a dramatic new life of extraordinary sacrifice. Rather, God's call is to live out our faith in our daily work, families, and community. We are called to serve God through the ordinary lives that we live every day. Our calling is to see what we do each day as God's work. Our calling is to see what we do each day and whatever the work we do, 
Whether it's a CEO of a company, starting up a shop, being a hostess at a restaurant, being a teacher in a public school, being a psychologist or a doctor, remodeling a house, being a parent, working at the nurse in a hospital, flipping burgers at McDonald's, or just simply being a friend. It's important to see our work as an expression of faith. In our work, we serve God by serving others. That awareness changes the way we do our work and can transform a workplace, family, church, or community. We are not a blank slate or a random creation that God put here to be shaped by the world. We were put here to shape the world in his image and to make it good. It is so easy for our perspective to change and to get focused on fear and hatred, power and control. The totality of the events in 2020 alone has turned the best of us into the worst of us. We have heard this phrase time and time again, but it is true that we are truly all in this together. My hope is that this story of Isaiah will help us to remember the bigger perspective. As Jesus' disciples, we are not called to petty turf wars and political debates. We are not called to the American dream, however you may dream of that to be. We are called to the kingdom of God, to remember that we are blessed in order to be a blessing to all people. We are forgiven by the Most High to forgive others. We are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are called to be a vessel of God's never-ending love for all people, no matter who they are. I'll leave you with this question. Have you seen your purpose? As God asks, who shall I send? Will we answer, here I am, send me? Will we go? Amen. Amen.